This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Who Scored's very own Martin Lawrence and Jonathan Wilson, football expert, award-winning Jonathan Wilson, as we discussed last week. Two pieces of admin, well, actually not even admin, headline news to start off. Martin, our treble came in last week. It did? Scenes. That, exactly. Limbs. Limbs, as limbs, they say. Yeah. yeah. Injury time limbs. So, yeah, we had a, a 20 to 1 treble winner. Uh, Dan got in early. Callum Wilson, first goal scorer, very good tip. I nearly changed that to any time scorer, didn't I, Dan? So the yeah, odds would have been a lot lower. You, you were actually quite cross with me for choosing first, first goal scorer, <laughs> if I recall. <laughs> well, I said that we needed to play it a bit more conservative because we hadn't had a winner in a while. You came in with first scorer rather than any time yeah. after I said that. But anyway, that landed. And then never in, never in doubt, Jonathan... Liverpool and under 3.5 goals. Divock Origi, 94th minute winner. And Southampton, Brighton, both teams to score. 98th minute equaliser from Neil Morpé. So, yeah, 20 to 1 winner. So, hopefully we can back it up this week. Alex McCarthy was on that, wasn't he? He was definitely on it. 100%. He's out, he's out for a long time now. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. in trouble. You know, yeah. that, that'll come up in the just a minute section, Dan. Don't you oh, worry. Okay. There's some okay. interesting news there. We should say that we hope Kasper Schmeichel gets well soon from his horrific thumb injury as well. <laughs> really hope he gets well soon. Second piece of headline news was that Jonathan and I were on the same show on Talksport on Sunday and Bardell was given headline billing over Wilson. Yeah, my world fact. An enjoyable moment for me. What, what, what time are you on? Uh, 11.45. Yeah, they always put the big stars on at 45, don't they? Was, uh, noon. <laughs> noon is when the big yeah. dogs are uh, okay. if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've got a five in your time slot, you, yeah. Uh, okay, I, didn't, I don't know how it works. I'm new to all this, Jonathan. <laughs> but good to see us on the same show. Good to see that neither of us plugged the edge of the box either. Great stuff. Right, the Champions League has been this week. So we're going to look at the top-rated Champions League teams. But before we do that, Jonathan, we want to know who has impressed and disappointed you the most in the group stage. I didn't quite understand that question, whether you meant teams or players. So I thought I'd just slag off PSG. Um, okay, fair. I mean, it was always going to happen that they, you know, you, you take a dysfunctional forward line and then you remove the one functioning bit of it and add another dysfunctional element. The Di Maria, I think there's a whole category of footballers, Di Maria and Cavani, probably the big two, who, and Benzema even as well, who are really good players, who've spent their entire career carrying water for really annoying players <laughs> and never quite getting the credit they deserve and never quite probably... Um, doing what they, they should be able to should have been able to achieve. So, I mean, PSG, it's, it's this extraordinary paradox. You have three of the most exciting attacking players in the world. Um, but by playing them, you have to play really scratchy, defensive, horrible football. And, and that seems to be something that, that I mean, I'm sure Pochettino is well aware of that, but people above him at PSG don't seem able to to deal with. So, yeah, I, I thought PSG were incredibly lucky the game when they, they, they beat City. Um, yeah, they, they, they really sort of stuttered in the games against Leipzig. And the game when they lost to City uh, 2-1 could easily have been sort of 4-5-1. or five, one. There's absolutely nothing in that side that suggests to me that, that, that PSG can, can, can win or any closer than the Champions. In fact, I think they're further 
away from winning the Champions League than they were when they signed Messi. Bayern Munich are the standout team in our in our ratings. Um, they're the second favourites, I believe, behind Man City. His rating is actually not poor, but uh, they they actually rank seventh uh, of the teams in the tournament in our ratings. I think that's just down to the defence as much as anything. I think that's been overlooked a little bit. They didn't keep a single clean sheet in the group stage. Of the, te- of the 16 teams to go through, only Sporting conceded more uh, than Man City's 10 in six games. Um, so that's definitely counted against them in our, in our rating system. So they're the favourites, but they're the seventh top rated team. So I'll run through it from 10 to 1. Uh, so it's Atalanta in 10th. Obviously, we don't know if they'll go through at the moment. Uh, they've still got to play Villarreal probably today, the time of recording. It's so we'll this afternoon. Yeah. So Atal- Atalanta are 10th. Then it's Lille who deserve a mention, really. They've struggled a bit in, in the league to sort of back up their title-winning season under Jocelyn Gorbanek, but um, very, very good in the, in the Champions League to come through a, a very competitive group, certainly the most competitive group. Uh, they're the ninth-rated team. Then it's Juventus, actually, in eighth. Man City, PSG in sixth. Then it's Chelsea, Liverpool in fourth, Real Madrid third, Ajax second, who are probably the the team that I would pick out as as the one that's sort of most impressive so far against expectations at least. And like I said, Bayern first. Uh, in terms of the odds, like I said, it's City, then Bayern, then Liverpool, then Chelsea and PSG tied. And then there's a big gap. If I was to look for, for value, I do think Real Madrid, 16 to 1 as it stands, I think, with Bet Victor. Uh, that's a very, very long price. I know they're not what they once were, but Vinicius Jr. has come to the fore playing really, really well. Yeah, Benzema really is has. still superb. The midfield, as much as they're ageing, Tony Cruz still got a goal in him. Luka Modric is still very, very strong. Edin Militao has come on really well. So I think I think they, they look a really long price under a manager who's been there and done it uh, in Ancelotti. So 16-1 to 1 on them. If you're looking at Man City, a 10-3, to uh, Bayern 4-1. to 1. So... Yeah, they look a very long price to me. Got to be honest, I fancy Liverpool, Jonathan. Six from six, I believe, they're the first English team to ever win every single group game. That might be a terrible fact for me that could be completely wrong, but I believe... I That's true. Yes, that is true. It is it is, yeah. great. It's true. Great fact. Wish I'd not preempted that that <laughs> might be wrong. Um, but very, very impressive. Even going to Milan with, you know, a few players missing. 2-1 two, two, at Milan. Very. That's a hard, tough place to go. They've, they've done very, very well. Yeah, and I, I think it's not just that. I think it's the, that style of football, that um, very aggressive, hard press that um, I, I guess we're used to now in the Premier League, but I think that still scares uh, opponents who aren't used to that kind of style. Um, and I think we, yeah, you look at the likes of, I mean, that, that, that Barca-Bayern game last night, obviously Bayern-Barca game last night, um, and it was extraordinary how easy it was for Bayern to, Bayern playing at kind of half pace, to tear through Barcelona. Barcelona just couldn't handle that. And you're trying to play the high line with, with PK and Longley just, just made no sense. But they can do that to an extent in La Liga because teams don't attack them. And you looked at that Bayern backline, how high that was, and you sort of think, well, sure, that's that's fine in the Bundesliga and it's fine in the group stage when I think, I mean, you mentioned City's defence not looking that impressive in the group stage. I think Bayern's was, you can't say it was worse because obviously they conceded a few goals, but yeah, Benfica in the game in, in Munich exposed them. Um, there the, 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 the was a vulnerability there, and I could see Liverpool, for instance, against Bayern, as they did a couple of years ago when they played them, absolutely tearing into that space and causing them lots of problems. I think that's a, you know, it, it's a conscious gamble that Bayern take. When they won the Champions League, 
even in the final against PSG, the line was really, really high. And Mbappe had a couple of chances in that game that, yeah, probably should have done better with. So I can see Liverpool against a team that's used to dominate its domestic league, playing with that pace, that aggression, that high press, and, and really causing them problems. But I guess the issue with Liverpool is what happens with, with the Cup of Nations, that even when they get the players back, you know, I, I know that there's no no direct clash, but what state are Salah and Mane and, and Cater to an extent going to be in when they get back from the Cup of Nations? I think it always takes you know a, a two to three weeks at least to adjust. They'll probably get an easy draw in the last 16 and, and it won't be an issue, but that, that, that would be a slight concern. What, what condition do they come back in? Let's have a look now at the team of the group stages, Martin. What have who scored come up with? Yeah, so obviously in goal, it's Georgios Athanasiadis of course, of FC Sheriff. Uh, so he was odds on to make the team of the tournament, I think. Uh, and made more saves than any keeper in the group stages. They've had a pretty memorable campaign, haven't they? Beating Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. He made 10 saves in that in that 2-1 win. So he's been pivotal to them, obviously not qualifying, but to to even qualify for the for the Europa League for them is a is a big big success. Uh, the right back is Reese James, only four appearances in the tournament, but kept helped keep, keep three clean sheets in those games. Scored in a four 0 win over Juventus. Uh, the centre back pairing is uh, Liverpool favourite Sebastian Coates. Uh, he scored twice in a win over Besiktas and Sporting. He missed two games as well. Sporting actually conceded nine goals in the two games he missed. He's been a really important player for them since he signed and a, and a really sort of strong centre-back in Portugal. So a uh, good campaign for him. Uh, alongside him is Dio Upamecano. Uh, he's been better, a lot better in Europe, actually, than he has in the league for Bayern. He's struggled a little bit in the league since he made that move from Leipzig. But very, very decent in the Champions League. Made 2.2 interceptions per game. Completed 91% of his passes, so he's been solid. Uh, the left-back, unsurprisingly, João Cancelo, had a direct hand in five goals for Man City, uh, scored twice and got a hat-trick of assists against Club Bruges. Uh, right midfield, the, the the sort of winger spots and the and the forward spots are really hotly contested, so there's some big players missing out. So it's actually Riyad Mahrez who gets the right wing spot in our team. He's the only City player to start every game uh, in the tournament. Obviously, he's been not, not played too much in the league, but Pep obviously fancies him in the Champions League and, and rightly so. He's been very good in the tournament beyond beyond this season. Started every game, scored five goals. Actually made the joint most tackles of any Man City player in the group stages as well. So he just edges out the likes of Salah and uh, Anthony from, from Ajax, who was excellent as well. Uh, in midfield, Christopher Nkunku is probably not a surprising selection. Seven goals, uh, including a hat-trick at Man City. Even though Leipzig went out, he had a fantastic campaign. Alongside him, uh, Pedro Gonçalves of Sporting. He scored four goals, including a match-winning brace against Dortmund to help them sort of get the better of Dortmund in terms of get qualifying for the for the knockout phase. On the left wing, just ahead of Vinicius, who I mentioned, who's been excellent in the league and, and in Europe, is actually Leroy Sané. Uh, five goals and four assists. So only two players had a direct hand in more goals in the group stages. And then the strike pairing is probably... Understand, we can't really argue. Sebastian Allaire, 10 goals, top scorer in the tournament. 10 goals would have been enough to be the top scorer in, in the entire tournament in 19 of the 29 Champions Leagues uh, to date. So to have done that in, in what is his first ever uh, Champions League campaign is pretty impressive in the group stage. And then he's partnered by Robert Lewandowski, nine goals and two assists. Pretty standard practice for him. But yeah, so that's Athanasiadis <laughs> or Sheriff. 
Reese James, Sebastian Cuartes, Dyer Oppermacano, Jao Cancelo, Riyad Mahrez, Christopher Nkunku, Pedro Gonzalez, Leroy Sané, Sebastian Allaire, and Robert Lewandowski. No Mo Salah, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Think- Doesn't matter. Well, where does he fit in the four four two? Does anyone fit in a four four two? Would be my. <laughs> well, I'm looking at back him out of that midfield and thinking. I know, I know. Oh, well, I should, what I should have said, Pedro. I was slightly annoyed that he just beat into the team, but I can't, I can't change it. Pedro Gonzalez just beat Jude Bellingham to the spot in central midfield. Bellingham just missed out. He, he's had an outstanding Champions League campaign. Obviously, yeah, been a little really bit good. of a, been a little bit of a naughty boy this week, but uh, came back with another good performance in the Champions League. Yeah, well done on some of the pronunciations there as well. I don't know if it is well done, to be honest. Well, well, sounded, <laughs> sounded good to me. I mean, I wouldn't have expected the Sheriff goalkeeper to have been making the Champions League. It took to, me about 10 minutes to say his name. But yeah. yeah, yeah, we have got to cut something out of the podcast now for absolute <laughs> sure. Right then, let's talk about what we're here to do. None of this Champions League fancy stuff. Let's get back into the Premier League, the bread and butter of the podcast. And the first game we're looking at today is Manchester City against Wolves. Jonathan, I can't remember if we've actually spoken about him on this podcast. I do about 57 podcasts away, so they all kind of merge into one at times. But Bernardo Silva, good little player. He's, he's been remarkable this season, all the more so given how close he was to, to leaving in the summer. That I think City were quite willing to let him go. I think he was very frustrated at the lack of game time. I think he looked at the arrival of Grealish and, and thought, you know, maybe my game time is going to be reduced even further. But he's, I mean, he's probably been the best player in the league so far. Um, you know, I, and, and doing things I didn't really realise he could do. I mean, I, you know, I, I obviously knew he was very good, but it's a couple of those little dribbles against Liverpool, for instance, where you sort of thought, yeah, that's that's a that's a whole new new level for him. So he's always had that pace, that energy, that intelligence of pass. But I think his close technical ability has really been been shown off as well. And he's got a couple of key goals. So um, in a season when Grealish, I think, has has, has not quite settled immediately which i don't think is a major problem i think that, that that was to an extent to be expected i think you know they they and, and when de bruyne has been injured they've really needed bernardo and uh he's he's been superb i think he might be the best player i've seen live in the flesh this season i'm trying to think of another performance that i will have seen i think i think he probably takes it bernardo silver but where is he in the premier league form rankings no one cares where he is in the bardell in the flesh rankings where is he in the <laughs> who scored premier league form rankings Marcy? so yeah Pe- pepper's obviously come out uh i think it was last week and said that he is the best player in the league right now and that he was in the 2018-19 season and to be fair pep did say that that season he thought he was the best player he was voted for the pfa player of the award and player of the season award in that season didn't win it uh, didn't get into the final three, I don't think. But yeah, it was it was curious that his sort of playing time dropped after after that. I think he, he dropped about playing about sixty percent of the minutes for City in the in the two following seasons. Uh, and yeah, he's he's been outstanding this season. He's he is indeed now first in our player form rankings. I should say, he's not first in the season rankings. Uh, he's actually fourth at the moment. Mo Salah still top of that, but he's first in our form rankings over the last six games. So I'll run through that. It's Reese James at 10. Lucas Moore has come in at 9. He's had a a resurgence uh, under Conte, a hell of a goal uh, at the weekend. He's He's been superb. And, and one of those players I think we we highlighted as as being one who could really profit from playing under someone like Conte. So he's at 9. Mo Salah's down to 8, which is the lowest he's, he's been all season. Emmanuel Dennis at 7. Conor Gallagher staying in there at 6. Super John McGinn now up to 5th. Go on, John. Uh, yeah, he's rising. He's he's coming for your spot, Bernardo, but not yet. Uh, Rafinha at four, 
Uh, Diogo Jota, who I believe was first last week, is down to three. Trent Alexander-Arnold, still second. He's been second for a long, long time. But yeah, Bernardo Silva top now. And he is he is now, yeah, he's, he's grown in importance. And like Jonathan said, he scored some important goals. He's now scored seven goals this season, which is equals his best season in any in any Premier League campaign. Only Ruben Diaz and uh, and Jao Cancelo have played more minutes this season of outfielders. So that's the three Portuguese players, which is nice and timely playing against what is essentially Club Portugal uh, in Wolves. And it's, we looked at it and you can actually field what I would say is an almost passable, entirely Portuguese 11 from, really? from Wolves and Man City. I've written it down. I don't, I don't know why I'm so surprised at that. Because <laughs> if you care, basically are Portugal light. So I, I've made it. Jonathan's going to hate it, but anyway, Jose Sarr in goal. I think that's fine because he's a goalkeeper. Uh, Nelson Semedo right back. I've I've shoehorned in Ruben Neves at centre back alongside Ruben Diaz. Jao Cancelo. This team's already a mockery. No, 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 no. no. Hear, hear me out. Jao Cancelo left back. Jao Moutinho and Bernardo Silva in midfield. Trincao, Daniel Pedence, Pedro Neto, and Fabio Silva. Uh, in the attack, so yeah, an entire 11 and obviously managed by Bruno Larger. Um, so yeah, I don't think we'll see them all this weekend, but it's pretty mad that you can field an entire 11 of uh of Portuguese players from well, that's despite uh Johnny and Pedro Neto being out exactly, Johnny as well. Yeah, big can miss. I just say how proud of yourself you looked when you were reading that team? <laughs> Thank you very much. You big grin on your face as you as you were doing Thank that. You, you were very very pleased. Yeah, yeah. The ex- putting the extra work in, a bit like the tackle yeah. success, right? No one will ever remember that second. <laughs> it was a, oh, well, I'm going to clip it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very very interesting, Martin. Well done, um, Jonathan. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you follow that? Yeah, you had the fun train. How do you follow the fun train that was Martin <laughs> making a Portuguese eleven out of what was a Man City players? It's like Pep's got this weird thing where, kind of for long term gain, it has the short term thing of like shunning someone. Yeah, so he's, I feel like he does that quite a lot. So Bernardo Silva last season didn't didn't have a great time, not really in the side, in and out. And then comes back this season and he's superb. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but it feels like a very Pep thing to kind of alienate someone and then bring them back in and then be world class. Uh, I mean, I think you could say that with John Stones as well. Yeah, it's happened to John yeah. Stones about eight times. I think. Good as well. <laughs> Maybe Raheem Sterling towards the end of last season. Or now as well, yeah. Uh, yeah there was a time when Xiao Cancelo couldn't get in the team. Yeah, um, yeah, it's happened again. I mean, Mares when he first signed, couldn't, you know, having been in the team initially, the the, the end of that first season, couldn't get in. So, uh, Gabriel Jesus keeps drifting out of favour. <laughs> so, that's, I mean, that's the advantage, I guess, of having a... A squad of that depth you can't I don't think it's a case of ostracizing players I think it's just once you're out of the team if players are playing well it's really hard to get back in and I guess that that maintains the hunger and maintains the level in training and everything so um yeah I think I think Pep is single-minded enough to do that and he doesn't mind annoying players and I, yeah. yeah obviously he's got the the reputation and 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 um yeah the, the record to do that that everybody knows Pep makes you a better player um unless he's that on um and uh or dimitri shigrinsky um okay i mean they'll have a handful but fundamentally pep will make you a better footballer and he will win you trophies and he will get you playing great football so he, you know, he can leave you out and if you've got a squad of 20 25 really 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 high class players you can bring players in so it's yeah it's a combination of the two things and it, it's it, it's sort of it's a it's a positive cycle right but uh if you're left out, it improves. You know, if you can afford to leave out an underperforming player, then it, it, it you know it keeps that culture of, of of excellence going. 
Yeah, I think yeah. the important thing is that those players always come back and play, perform better than they were before they were dropped as well. It's not like any of them tend to come back and and are sulking or anything. They all come back and are firing. So it's obviously a really competitive nature. And City always just seem to have at least one player who's bang on it. Like they can be De Bruyne can be out of form and Gundogan last season, for example, and now it's Bernardo yeah. Silva and it's been plenty of players in the past. So they've got a pretty good squad. Yeah, I think a greylish shun. He's come in and then he's going to come back and be absolutely incredible. That, that's my that's my betting on the next one. Let's try and make sense of Wolves a little bit then, Martin. The goals have dried up again. A funny side, aren't they? I, I can't quite work them out. Sometimes I watch them and think they're really good. Sometimes I watch them and think, God, they're boring me to slow. I think this is a problem that you have when, and it's sometimes it's a good problem, but when your biggest goal threat is also your most creative player, it's an issue. And that's what Raul Jimenez is. Like in the three seasons where he hasn't picked up a serious injury, he's created the most chances for Wolves in all three seasons. And he needs to be on the end of those chances. Um, but obviously that's not possible. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's where they're lacking. They've obviously got, I think he's almost a more intelligent striker than he is an excellent finisher. So it might even make sense to try and find a, a more natural finisher than him and he can be the sort of provider but he can play both roles but they're missing missing one or the other I, th- I think they're certainly missing creativity from from central areas in particular Pedro Neto is obviously a big big miss in terms of creativity uh, Adama Traore I think in general I think when he's played alongside Raul Jimenez obviously in the past he's he's been that's been a very effective partnership but he's dropped out of late so whether that he can come back in and, and help fix those problems. But I think it is down to creativity as much as anything. I think only two or three teams have had fewer shots than Wolves this season. I think it's one goal in their last four games. So, yeah, Huang's sort of gone off the radar again a little bit. So, yeah, not not all clicking up front as much as they're, they're still a very organised defensive unit. And I think that was the case under under Nuno as well. Um, but yes, Bruno Large is sort of having the same struggles in, in sort of chance creation. Uh, wait, here's a trivia question for you. Oh, um, here we go. Adama Traore is now 26. How many goals has he scored in senior football? I would say, so he played for Middlesbrough in the Championship. I think he probably got the most there. So I'd say 11. I'd go 15. 12. That's a pretty good guess. Oh, well, well. But given he got two away against City two years ago. Yeah. He's got against those... Liverpool as well, I think, hasn't he, in the past? I think oh, I feel similarly, yeah. But, but because of those two goals, he's sort of in my head as, as kind of, yeah, he's quite a useful goal threat, even though he's mainly just a dribbler. And you think, he just doesn't score at all. No. Um, they, they, they've got one goal in the last five games. They, their XG is, is poor as well. So it is a very, they're a very defensive team. It's like the old-fashioned team in that sense, which I think feels like um, uh, something that's, that is particularly Portuguese at the moment. If German football is all about the high press, Portuguese football is more about the low block. Uh, and so Bruno Lage has continued that. Uh, I mean, apart from Huang and Jimenez, nobody's got more than one goal this season. So you know, it, it, th- that is a problem for them. But I, I, there was that sort of sense at the beginning of the season that they were playing well without getting results. But if you don't have goal scores, that's always going to be a problem. If you, know, if, if you can dominate midfield all you want, but at some point you have to have a cutting edge. Does that a Dharma trial or a question come from your quiz book, Jonathan? No, but my quiz book is available on the Blizzard website. Um, I think it's, I can't remember how much it is, but it's, 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 an, it's a magnificent bargain. It's the perfect Christmas present if you're not buying my novel, which is also out by the Blizzard website at the moment. I should, I mean, it's, I'll, I'll ruin it, but it's behind me, Jonathan, look. 
I don't know if you can say. Well, is that inverting the pyramid? Yeah. Yeah, that's not. Look I mean, that's, that. that's excellent. I mean, I'm glad that. I'm, oh, okay. Hoid me off there. as normal. Standard <laughs> on the edge of the box podcast. It's the tenth anniversary edition. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the up to date version from 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but this, this Christmas, one, uh, my my, we got two of them. Well, I've actually, I've, my dad will watch this. I've completely ruined one of his Christmas presents. I've <laughs> got Jonathan's, Jonathan's book for Christmas because I got told well, I had to buy a book. Um, I, I'd like to wish your dad a very happy Christmas. I, I know he's uh, I know he's big a big fan. fan. Yeah, and um, it's delighted. I'm delighted that he's going to have that to keep him going in the, in the new year. I mean, I don't know whether any of this is going to actually make it into the podcast. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what Rollo does with it. Uh, predictions. Then I'm trying to find mine desperately because I always very forget. Good. Two nil to City. Two nil to City. I've got yeah, a feeling I've done the same. Yep, I have. Yeah. Two nil. Three two nil. Boring. Really, really good. <laughs> yeah. and, I forgot, and I forgot to say what derby it was. I've thought of someone and then didn't say it. it was. It's the Mark Kennedy derby. Oh, yeah. Niche, good on. Julian I can't believe that popped into my Julian Lescott. That would have Mark. I've got. I don't know Julian Lescott very much for his time. At, <laughs> his time at Aston Villa. So I prefer the Mark Kennedy derby. So we'll go with that. Next game that we're going to preview actually is the Steven Gerrard derby. Yeah. It's Liverpool against Aston Villa. The first point here, John, is quite an interesting one. Liverpool's progress since Steven Gerrard left. Is this Liverpool side better than any he played in? Yeah, easily. <laughs> not I, even didn't, close. I didn't do the script. Martin did it. <laughs> it Have a go, Martin. I mean, it's not Steven Gerrard's fault. I mean, yeah, Liverpool in Gerrard's time never had a player of, of, of equality of Salah. Um, I suppose they did have Suarez at his peak for that, that one season. Um, but I still take Salah now over Suarez then, plus Mane, plus Firmino Ajota, plus Henderson. Yeah, Henderson in, in, in this kind of form, um, plus Van Dijk, plus Trent Alexander-Arnold, plus Andy Robertson. I mean, I, I'd, I, Gerard, would, would Gerard get in this team? <laughs> yeah, I think he I, would. I was thinking, would he work under Jurgen Klopp? I think he'd be... I think he'd be pretty, pretty darn good. Yeah, he'd just, take just physically, role, he was he? outstanding. Yeah, yeah, he'd yeah, be he'd probably. be in for Henderson. But I mean, Peak Gerard, it would be dominating oh. in that. He's team. a great, great player. Gerard would get. I said, could you play? Could you play Gerard and Henderson together with Fabinho behind? Maybe you could. I don't know if that's a, a bit too similar, but um, I, 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 I guess they, they probably do need. You know, one of the things that yeah, if you're being very, very critical of Liverpool, what do they slightly lack? It's it's goals from midfield, mm-hmm. and and Gerard, I guess, would give them that. So. So maybe you could play play a three of Fabinho, Henderson, and Gerrard, but that feels very harsh on Thiago or yeah. or Wijnaldum, um or James Milner or you know the best the best Liverpool team I I found I thought I found with Gerrard in it was two thousand and eight. That Torres uh, when he was playing, well, yeah. Team. So Pepe Reina yeah. in goal, Arbeloa, Carragher, Hippia, Aurelio, and then it's the midfield really: Alonso, Mascherano, Gerrard. And then Coit, uh, Torres, and Albert Riera. But yeah, you've still got a few. Albert Riera. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say iffy duds. ones in there. Not, not duds, but yeah, a few iffy ones. Certainly the fullbacks. Uh, I think arguably where they're sort of more improved than they've ever been. Like before that, Liverpool's fullbacks going through their teams haven't been up to a great deal. But now they've probably got two of the best in the in the world, haven't they? I heard a rumor yesterday that Von Alden's available. On loan and could go back to Liverpool. Don't know how. Don't know how true that is. But is he even available? But it'd be interesting to see him go back well, there because he, he was about the best at being the goal scorer central midfielder for, for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always felt he was the fourth out of three. He was always a bloke who fitted in when somebody else wasn't available when they were resting somebody, which was I think was very unfair on him. 
Um, I was but, felt like he was first choice. I didn't know whether I'm wrong. One of us is wrong. Probably well, he's a, yeah, uh, Klopp really, really liked him uh, just in terms of what he did in, in knitting that sort of midfield and forward line together, I guess. He's, he's a really weird player in final. He doesn't really touch the ball much at all for a midfielder, but just pops up in in important positions, like you say, with important goals as well. I also looked at Liverpool's last team uh, Gerard's last performance at Anfield, and that that really does show how far Liverpool have come in terms of the team. You can have a little guess if you like. They lost three one to Palace. Uh, can you what tell me this? This is two thousand. What would that have been? 2015, 2014, 15, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was the year Villa knocked them out of the FA Cup when it was going to be on his birthday, wasn't it? Is that year? Yeah. It's not. It's yeah. not. It's probably not going to be worth guessing. But their top rated player that day was. Uh, Emery Jan in a back three. The wing backs were Alberto Moreno and Jordan Ibe, uh, and Jordan Adam Alana was the goal scorer. So yeah, they've 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 come a long way. <laughs> Ricky Lambert off the bench in that game. Jerome Sinclair been a wow. been a decent amount of progress under Jurgen Klopp. Would well, it take me a long time to get Jerome Sinclair? <laughs> yeah, and obviously the the game after that, Gerard's last game, they got absolutely pumped six one at Stoke, didn't they? I looked at that as well, and Gerard started that game up front. Really weird. That can't be scored. right. He, he did. He started up front. Very strange. I started my last ever game hockey team up front to just try and get me a goal on on. Uh, did you get the goal? My phone. No. Oh, no, I had three shots, though, which is more than I had all season. Gerard did get his season. goal, so it yeah. worked. It worked. I mean, it worked in a six-one defeat to Stoke. We, we drew one-one, so I started I'd rather have that than a six-one defeat with me scoring. <laughs> Gerard at Villa, then Martin. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable start, really. I think three wins from four and running Manchester City very, very close, being unlucky not to take a point. I don't think Villa fans could have asked for much more from him. He had an impact on, on a lot of players. He had an impact on the team in general. Villa's shape, yeah. Villa's pressing, Villa's organisation. I mean, everything is a lot better. Which yeah. players has he had the biggest impact on? Well, I'm interested to think, to know which ones you you think he's had the biggest impact on. You could probably guess the sort of top the top rankings in terms of rating increase. That's what we've done it on. So we've done it based on their rating under Smith this season and their ratings under Gerard okay. this season. So who do you think's improved the most? Under well, the, the first one I'm going to go with is purely based on the fact he scored two goals at the weekend because I know how who scored works. So I'll go Andrew Clemson <laughs> must be in the top three. He isn't. So he you isn't, don't know right? how he scored well. well, well this is, we've spoke previously loads of times about, oh, but he did score in this game, so that's got his ranking up. You'd have thought a centre-back scoring well, two goals might have pulled the rank, pulled him up a little bit. He is. He, his rating's improved. He's the sixth most improved right. player. Well, McGinn's going to be one because he was nowhere near the top ten. John McGinn's top, yeah. Uh, Mings? Mings is ninth. Oh. To fullbacks? Yeah. I think that's that's the important one. So Matt Target's second and Matty Cash is fourth. Um, so, yeah, that's an important point to make, isn't it? Because the fullbacks were so important to Gerard's Rangers team. Um, Tavernier in particular just posted ridiculous numbers from right back and Borna Barisic on the left. Really important attacking players. And, and certainly Matt Target really struggled early in the season. I think Matty Cash has been pretty good all season. Uh, but yeah, for what it's worth, it's Jacob Ramsey. So he's improved 10 players, which isn't bad. Um, so Jacob Ramsey's 10th, Mings, Watkins, Emmy Martinez, Konza, Ashley Young, who's actually been an important player, come to the fore under Gerard. He obviously played with him at England. I think that's that's helped Young's cause. Uh, Cash at four. And the one you missed, Dan, I thought you'd say straight off the bat, Marvellous Nakamba at three, who's been much, much improved. Certainly, I just think in terms of his composure on the ball, uh, his pass accuracy and stuff like that. 
previously he, he's been a sort of ball winner and he can do that and he's done that well in the past but he just never looked comfortable on the ball and he's suddenly looking comfortable on the ball so he's been he's been a big big plus point because I think they will still look for a midfielder but the midfield's been particularly strong so yeah great start who hasn't improved that's the story we should be thinking uh, out here. Uh, Douglas Luiz has gone down just because he had a very. I, I thought he was probably Villa's best player early in the season. Um, so not not that he's played badly, but his rating's gone down a little bit. Uh, who else? Emi Buendia's rating's gone down a tiny bit. Uh, that I am surprised at. Yeah, and Leon Bailey, and I think those are the only three, but okay. a very very small decrease. Yeah, but John McGinn. I don't know whether you saw the game on Sunday, Jonathan. I was John McGinn's hands down his best game in a village ever I thought he was absolutely unbelievable yeah I only saw the first half live but I, I thought it was a really good game actually I thought the, the, the yeah, quality exciting. was I'm sort of increasing this season this is drifting slightly off what we're talking about but watching that and watching the Bayern Dortmund game or Dortmund Bayern game sort of the realization of just how much better the Premier League is this season than every other league that the impact that COVID has had everywhere else um, it's a, you know, you're watching that game the, for essentially a mid-table game, and that was an incredibly high standard. Can Villa go to Anfield and get something, Martin? Not according to our prediction, but we do think it will be a, a close run thing. It has been in the past between uh, against Liverpool under Smith. Obviously, it wasn't a close run thing when we hammered them seven two, humbled them seven two, I should say. Um, but games beyond that uh, have generally been pretty tight. We're going for. Uh, a repeat of that. So we're going 2-1 Liverpool, which I think was the score in this fixture last season. Yeah, I've gone for 2-1 as well. Worryingly, I've I've called Villa's last two results absolutely bang on. So I should have probably predicted us to draw or something, but I've gone for 2-1 Or win, Dan. Well. Or win, win is well, option, Win would have been good. <laughs> you know, I, should have predicted us to draw. I do usually predict Villa to get something, but I'm taking the, the predictions league very, very seriously. since. Yeah, I'm you are. So I'm, just, I'm just trying to be realistic. But Villa have had some good days at Anfield not that long ago, so we'll see what happens. I do think it'll be a good game and it'll be close. Jonathan? Uh, going 3-1 to Liverpool. 3-1 to Liverpool. Not so close. It's so annoying that we've got the same scores for two of the games so far, Martin. Pretty annoying, that. But let's let's open it up a little bit. Surely we can't have the same scores all the way through. It's the just-a-minute section. Jonathan with the first game, Brentford v Watford. And I'm going to be completely honest. Oh, I, had to go, I, had to, I had to Google someone to make this a derby. The Richard um, Lee Darby. Oh, yeah. Richard Lee. Yeah. He's on Dragon's Den selling baseball yeah. caps. Let's get him definitely. on the show. Yeah, Richard Lee will come on. Absolutely yeah. guaranteed. <laughs> I reckon he probably would, yeah. I mean, we could have had him on to talk about Brentford Watford. That would have probably made sense, but yeah. Jonathan's <laughs> going to do it instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Watford are actually okay. I think they're quite good. And, and uh, yeah, I know they're only taking six points under seven, from seven games under Ranieri, but I think they there have been signs of progress. I think there have been signs of improvement. I think the really important thing is the form of Emmanuel Dennis and of Josh King. But I think Ranieri will sort out the defence in time. And if you've got two goal scorers plus a decent defence, you, you've got a chance. Um, Ismail Asar's out, which is which is obviously uh, a problem. Uh, also, Brentford's record against Watford is weirdly terrible. I, I, I suspect these things don't really mean a huge amount. Um, but when Brentford beat them in May, obviously in the Championship, it was the first win over Watford since 1977, one of 17 games. And I think that does somehow seep into the fans' consciousness and that can transmit itself to the pitch. Brentford have had this, you know, the, the wobble recently, uh, five points in the last four games, um, but they had had the, the string of defeats uh, before that. I don't think they're playing particularly badly, but maybe just sort of the, 
the lack of class, the lack of goal scoring is showing. So I'm going to go Watford to win this 2-1. Little quiz question for you. How many managers have Watford had since that, that 1977 Brentford win? Uh, 38. 60. No, 6,250. <laughs> I, I was, <laughs> was going to say 6,000 for what it's I'd have given you that, Martin. I'd have <laughs> given you that. What's, what's who's course prediction? Uh, one or One or I've gone for 2-2. Two, two. Brentford v Watford, Friday night. Martin, you've got oh, a bit of a bit of nickname array gone on here. All the teams in the script have got their proper name, and then Southampton are called Saints. <laughs> so Arsenal, it's Arsenal v Saints, Martin, and it's the Theo Walcott dub. Uh, Alex Lacazette started at Everton. He's got four goals in his last three starts against Saints. So with Emil Smith Rowe and now Gabriel Martinelli both doubts, he could keep his place. Aubameyang was not only dropped to the bench last time out, but left on it for longer than Eddie and Ketia at Goodison which could suggest another problem behind the scenes. Granite Xhaka made a speedier return to action than anticipated and celebrated that turn return in typical fashion with a lovely card from Mike Dean. Southampton have a real problem with Alex McCarthy, as we mentioned, now injured, and Fraser Forster. So they've signed Willy Caballero this week. 40-year-old Willy Caballero, who is, looks like he's going to come straight in against Arsenal. Uh, they've also got Salasu and Romeo are suspended and Jan Bednarek injured. So defensively, they're there to be got at for sure. Harson Hurtle uh, uh, side are winless in four and have surrendered winning positions in three of those games, conceding that 80, uh, 98th minute equaliser last time out. They haven't won a league game away at Arsenal in 26 attempts and never in the Premier League era. Uh, while they themselves threw away a lead at Everton last week, the Gunners' form at home is very good with 16 points in the last 18 available. Those Southampton absences could prove telling. So we have gone for. 2-1. I did have it as 1-all, but I changed to 2-1 based on those injuries. I've gone exactly the same again. Annoying, Jonathan. I've gone 1-all. 1-all? Um, yeah. Would you change it based on those injuries? Possibly, yeah, but yeah. Um, that's a cowardly way. Out. And also, <laughs> Arsenal just aren't very good. Mm. And They're also, weird, I think, Hasen Hitler's record against Arsenal is decent. I think uh played them eight times and he lost three. Because I think yeah. that type of football gets in Arsenal's faces and they don't like it. For me, it's absolute vintage Arsenal. Everton hadn't won. They lost seven in a row or something stupid before that game. So they go to Goodison. Xhaka comes back, gets booked and they lose. <laughs> that, that to me, that is that is Arsenal. All over. So how's, how's it let's play them seven times, not eight? So. Yeah. And I've got to admit, the big Willie Caballero signing passed me there by. Go. I didn't know that. I know, I it passed me by as well until I had to research it. Well done. Well done, the Just a Minute section. A win for the Just a Minute section there, I would say. Oh, Chelsea v Leeds. I'm struggling for a player. Michael Dubra. Patrick Bamford. Michael Dubra. I like that, Jonathan. Go Bamford. on. You get... Showing my oh, 90s heritage. No, I prefer Dubra, to be honest, Michael. No, so do I. Don't, don't get me wrong. After suggesting that, Jonathan goes into the preview of this full of beans, full of confidence. <laughs> Chelsea v Leeds, Jonathan. But Chelsea, I think, are quite hard to get their, get a handle on them at the minute. I mean, they, they've, they've produced some really good performances, like hammering Juve 4-0. Although you do wonder how much was that about them and how much was that about Juve. Um, and yeah, they, they've gone they've gone 12 games unbeaten before that defeat to West Ham. And yet, there's that sense this weren't really playing that well. And then, obviously, the 3-3 draw against the need this week, uh, with a, a slightly weakened team, but not that weaker team, suggested that... Uh, after having been so sound defensively all season, suddenly to let in six in two games is an issue. So I would assume they'll be very, as they were having after that defeat to West Brom last season, there'll, there'll be suddenly a focus again on, on getting the defence right. Leeds have struggled for goals all season anyway. 
Um, Bamford has come back, which which will help you account for benches scored last week. But uh, just as they get him and Ailing back, uh, they lose Cooper and and Phillips probably more seriously. Cock and Strike probably also both going to miss out. Leeds are stabilising at the moment, but Chelsea, you'd think, will have too much for them. So I'm going to say 2-0 to uh, Chelsea. I've gone for 3-0 to Chelsea based on that Leeds defensive crisis. I think that's going to cause them problems. I've forgotten your name, Martin. It's Martin, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 3-1 we've gone for. I've also noticed right. how Jonathan is trying to fit in more and more words between cock and out. Yeah, he's uh, with every reason, <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> we've got We've got cock out, we've got big Willy Caballero. There's all sorts yeah. going on on this week's podcast. Could have had the Robert Green derby, incidentally. That would have been a bit more of a... That would have been a real niche one, Chelsea v Leeds, Robert Green. So did he ever play even for Chelsea? Martin Norwich v Manchester United, the Mark Robbins derby, of course. Yeah, Norwich's four-game unbeaten run came to an end at Spurs last week, but the 3-0 scoreline certainly flattered Tottenham. Dean Smith will be aiming to mastermind a second win against Manchester United this season. Will surely look to emulate much of the success he had in what was his final victory as Villa boss, meaning he may well stick with a back three. But Brandon Williams is ineligible to face his parent club, so Dimitris Giannoulis will come in and Matthias Norman could be back following injury. Having fielded a who scored combined 11 style lineup in midweek with Donny van der Beek as the midfield anchor, an error from the Dutchman allowed young boys to equalise, so his personal campaign for more minutes may be put on hold. Wambasaka played in an entirely changed side, which only really highlighted that Ranić isn't entirely convinced by the right back, with Diogo Dallo starting the last two games in the league. Marcus Rashford scored home and away against Norwich when they last met in the top flight, but is without a goal in seven. Having scored in midweek, Mason Greenwood will be putting pressure on his spot in the 4-2-2-2 Ranić deployed in his opening game against Palace. With Norwich only scoring three away goals all season, it's difficult to see an upset, even if the progress under Smith is clear to see. Uh, we've gone 2-0 uh, United. Bloody hell, this is a joke. I've gone 2-0 Manchester United. Did I just copy my predictions this week? Also 2-0. Maybe. <laughs> Jonathan, it's another Bobby Zamora derby. Brighton <laughs> against Tottenham. And there's obviously a major question mark whether this game's going to happen at all with Tottenham suffering yeah. from COVID. Uh, I think they have already applied to get the game postponed and I would assume that, that uh, the Premier League will acquiesce in that. So this is a in many ways, a ghost preview. It doesn't matter what I say because the game's not going to happen. Uh, I think Tottenham are going to win it 8-7 um, and Harry Kane's going to score uh, all 15. Um, yeah. But if it does happen, Spurs are taking 10 points in four games in the Conte. Um, two clean sheets in a row. I think they're clearly signs of progress there. Lucas Miller particularly has, has been playing well. They're weirdly only two points off fourth with the game in hand, which given how badly things seem to be going is a, is a bit of a surprise. Brighton are five points behind them, still ninth despite being without a win in 10. Um, they've drawn eight of those, but I think what is still encouraging for them is that in seven of those eight games, they've had the better XG. So that booing of Graham Potter, uh, the last Brighton home game, possibly a slightly misplaced. Uh, Brighton have got loads of defensive injuries, though. No Webster, no Duffy, no Dunk. Lalana, Welbeck, uh, Trossard also out. Um, so Tottenham to win 2-0, but I think it won't happen. I've gone for 2-0 as well. Who scored? I'm going for nil-nil. Ball draw. Nice, I like it. What happens? You don't get that if it doesn't happen. Just because I don't think it doesn't. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but surely when that game does take place, the predictions carry over and you add those points in. I mean, there'll be people who are following this podcast, they'll be like, they want to know what happens for this. This is big. This has never happened before. When that game gets played, well, the points... Well, we'll probably have to preview it again, won't we? So we'll probably come up with a new new prediction. I don't think we're going to do a special podcast based on Tottenham playing Burnley, surely. 
Well, they might fit into another game. Shoehorn it into another game week. Who knows? Fine, fine, fine. Cross that bridge when we come to it then. People, people, you know, this is life and death to some people. I know. Not just just me. It's life and death to you. You're right, yeah. And people will follow it and they'll want to know how it works. The the rules aren't clear. The whole thing gets thrown into disarray. I will say as well, that game should be made to take place because when Villa had everyone missing, they had to field their youth team in the FA Cup. They couldn't even play under 23. Players had to play the full-on youth team. Make them play, but Martin. Make we them did play. get a pass in the league, though, didn't we? We got we, we got some league mm. games put back. That's I true. Think that's just because it was the FA Cup. Uh, we were going we to win the FA Cup. We were going to win. Absolute we nearly joke. did with Louis Barry, to be fair. Exactly. We nearly did. Yeah. Louis Barry, who now doesn't even get on the switch bench. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Martin, to finish your just-a-minute section, we have Burnley v West Ham. Clariton Blue Derby. I need a player. Throw one at me. I haven't got one. Uh, it's just going to have to just be the Claret and Blue Darber. That's lazy. That is lazy. I'll think of one whilst you preview it. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Cool. Uh, Captain Ben Mee missed the defeat to Newcastle with a shoulder injury. He remains a big doubt. While Maxwell Cornet was forced off early on and will miss out with a quad strain. Ashley Barnes is also sidelined, so Mate Vidra and Jay Rodriguez will compete to partner Chris Wood. For a side that have failed to score in back-to-back games and a winless in four as it is, being without players that have contributed 50% of the team's total goals this season, not ideal. Mikhail Antonio scored three goals across West Ham's two victories over Burnley last season, which ended a run of three defeats without scoring against the Clarets. He is now without a goal in seven starts, though, for West Ham. The real problems are at the other end. Hamstring injuries to Kurt Zuma and Ben Johnson mean they join Ogbonna on the sidelines. Uh, Vladimir Kufal and Issa Diop will come in. Aaron Cresswell should be fit to replace last week's match winner, Arthur Masuaku. Home advantage doesn't really count for much as far as Burnley are concerned, even if West Ham have lost back-to-back away games. The two West Ham wins in this fixture last season were the first that David Moyes had ever masterminded over Sean Dyche, uh, failing to win six beforehand. And we expect this purple patch in this Claren blue derby to continue. So we have gone for West Ham to win 2-1. I've gone for West Ham to win 2-0, Jonathan. 2-0, West Ham. 2-0 to West Ham. Producer tried to cheat and send me someone during that segment, the junior Stanislas Darber. Oh, I like that. But I'd come up with Joe Hart. Mm. He played play for birth. So, yeah, either one of them will do. Your last game, Jonathan, you're always doing the more work. It's Palace v Everton, the Yannick Balassi Darba. Palace, I think, have, have run to a bit of reality uh, recently. Um, after that very promising spell, the, the, the form has just wobbled three defeats in a row. Um, I think where there is still a little um, encouragement for them is that if you look at an expected points table in the Premier League, they're still sixth. Um, Brentford slightly weirdly above them. Um, but they've only won three games all season and they're now only six points off relegation zone. So assuming Newcastle are going to improve, that does have to be a slight concern for them. Um, a bit like Brighton, if you look at all the draws they've had, they have. I think they've been the better team in five of the seven draws. The problem recently, I think, has been the absence of James McArthur from midfield. I think he's very important in second temper for them, giving them that solidity in midfield. And he's a doubt, but he may be back. Joachim Anderson, also a doubt. Ward suspended for this game. Everton got the win uh, with two late goals against Arsenal, which at least ended that run of eight games without a win and has eased some of the pressure. But they are still without Calvert-Lewin, Rondon, Mina and Davis and Dean suspended. Uh, so I've gone 1-1. I've got a single prediction that someone else hasn't gone the same for. I've gone 1-1 as well. Who scored? 2-2. Two, two. 
2-2. And I believe we've got a Sunday 2pm treble, Martin. You should know that because you're involved. Um, oh, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. You did ask me to make a call and I did that. <laughs> so yeah, our tip is, obviously, we've just all, all tipped for a draw in the Everton Palace game. We've, we've tipped Everton to win or draw, which is not a massive price, but a good price uh, given the sort of the sort of history between these teams. Everton are actually unbeaten in 13 against Palace and they haven't lost on any of the last 10 trips to Selhurst Park either. So Everton to win or draw is the who scored tip. I've gone for Jared Bowen to score any time, not first goal scorer this week, at any time goal scorer at Jared Bowen. Jonathan? Did I go Leicester win both teams to score? You did indeed. I'm slightly regretting that given that Leicester now seem to have COVID and nobody's quite certain how many players they're going to have available. But if, if that COVID has not hit the first team squad, then given that um, if both teams have scored, I think it looks good given Leicester have got the uh, the fourth worst defence in the league this season. Yeah, All over the place um, they are in the back. And yeah. the sixth worst on, on XG. Newcastle kept the first clean sheet last week. Um and I, I don't know, I just sort of worry about how Newcastle reacted to that win over Burnley. That, I mean, OK, that's the first win of the season, of course, you're going to celebrate it. It did just feel that this sort of sense of, oh, the new age has begun, everything's fine. And I don't think it's going to be that easy. So, uh, yeah, Leicester to win, both teams to score, but now slightly panicking because of the, the COVID at the King Power. We've all gone for Leicester to win and both teams to score in our predictions. So, marries up nicely. Um yeah. Obviously, we had the as we mentioned, we had the twenty to one winner last week. This week, uh, the price was seventeen to one, boosted to twenty two to one. So we pushed it a little bit further. Hopefully, we can get back to back wins in the treble. And how did we do with predictions last week, Martin? Uh, so Jonathan clawed back a little bit. Uh, nine points for Jonathan, seven for who scored, and six for Dan at the top. So his lead cut slightly, but it's still still pretty healthy, I must say. Just one point between who scored and Jonathan. I think Dan is six or seven in front. I went a bit uh, flamboyant last week. But, you know, I had, such a, I, I, I had such a good week that I just, you know, I thought I could take some risks, and none of them really paid off at all. But I think the last three or four weeks, there's been each week there's been two or three games. I've been one goal off getting the three points, and yeah. often getting no points of results. So I'm not really for, it's a for what it's worth. Because I am incredibly sad. I do have a track of all of the sort of results that we've got. For what it's worth, Dan's. What, in front in scores, but he's actually got the fewest sort of outcomes correct uh, of all of us. He's in front based on far more correct scores than the two of us, Jonathan. So that's the yeah. guy. That is the. I guy. can't see that. That's this is this is Leicester. It's going to blow up in the second half of the season. Exactly. <laughs> no, see, it's mine. It's mine. I'm, I'm having it. You got to call the, the three pointers. They're the ones. It doesn't matter about the one point. It's all about the three points. They're the ones you want to get. It's all about the three points as Leicester take on Newcastle. I mean, you're right about Newcastle. I kind of felt like when they were walking around the pitch celebrating at the end of that game, it was like, that's it. It's our win for the season. Enjoy it. We'll see you again next year. Like it's just, uh, I well, don't think it's, good. it's, yeah. it's not going to be what that what they think it's going to be, I don't think. But to be fair, Leicester's defence, as we've all alluded to, a little bit all over the place. Is that injuries? What, what is it? Is it Brendan Rodgers, Martin? What, what's the problem? It's a bit of both. I think Brendan Rodgers, is, obviously, you can't really count his time at Celtic just because of how dominant they were in terms of his defensive record up north. But even at Liverpool, uh, I think in... So he's there for four seasons. I think they had the fifth uh, best defensive record in his first season. And then the three seasons after that, they were eighth. Um, he actually conceded fewer goals in his first season 
at Leicester than any of his seasons at Liverpool. Uh, and that was when Leicester did, to be fair, that was when Leicester did have a settled defence. It was Pereira, uh, Evans, Soyuncu and Chilwell. And that stayed pretty much intact, certainly the centre-back pairing. And that hasn't been the case for the last two seasons. Only Newcastle, Southampton and Palace have conceded more goals since the start of last season than Leicester. 77 goals have conceded since the start of last season. Only Newcastle have kept fewer clean sheets. So there is a big problem there. And the problem at the moment seems to be uh, set pieces, uh, really poor from those against Villa. Uh, so that's certainly an area that Newcastle will look to get at. I do think Kasper Schmeichel's had a little downturn as well, not just being bitter after his little um, manicure problem. Um, but yeah, I think he's had a little downturn. So defensively, they are a bit at sea. They need to fix that because they've, they've got plenty of uh, quality and attack, haven't they? So they just need to fix that defensive resolve issue it's a weird one Kasper Schmeichel because he actually has always been one of my favourite goalkeepers is it that the defence are making him nervous Jonathan or is it the other, other way around or is it just a combination of them just being a shambles Fafana was so important for them last season to lose him yeah. being a big issue Johnny Evans has, has um, missed a bit of early this season he's obviously the senior presence there so uh, you know the fact that Pereira and Justin have been out um, in just all season Pereira did come back briefly but then has gone again uh, Castagna missed a bit of a start of the season. He's had so many personnel changes. I think it's understandable. And and Rogers just does play attacking football. And I think Ndidi as well. I keep saying this, but Ndidi, beginning of last season, I thought was brilliant. And then mm. after he got that knee injury in January, although he's only actually out for five games, I just don't think he's ever quite got back to the level mm. he was at before that. So, um, and it, you know, he missed a bit of earlier this season. I mean, he didn't play in the United game, for instance, because of injury. Uh, Tielemans has, has been out recently as well and although he's not necessarily defensive presence, he, you know, he, he does sort of hold his position there, so uh, I, th- I think, yeah, Rodgers does play attacking football, but fundamentally injuries have undone them. Yeah, Europe as well maybe, they haven't been great yeah, that's in, true. in, the, yeah, in yeah. the Europa League from, from what I've seen but the way, another weird one, Martin, is Egan Atcher he was banging him <laughs> in last season and now yeah. I mean, he might even be behind Pats and Dacca yeah. in the pecking order but you know he was a good player for them last season and him and Vardy as a two seemed to work pretty well from what I saw yeah well as you'd say he ended last season on flames didn't he um, so yeah he was, he was very very good so I, th- I think maybe the, the DACA signing would have put his nose out of joint a little bit after the way he did end last season um, DACA's basically seen as the natural successor to Vardy isn't he but he hasn't really had the opportunities in the league started against Villa but that Started brightly in that game as well, it should be said, but faded. Uh, Villa started to defend a lot better after a shaky start. So, yeah, it is a, it is a curious one that he he can't really get any games, certainly against Villa, because he scores every two minutes against Villa usually. Mm. So why he didn't play in that game, I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, that is a that is a good point, Dan. Yeah, and I'm going to adapt this question slightly from the script, Jonathan. Where does Newcastle need to strengthen? <laughs> well, I, th- I think going forward they're fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, Callum Wilson, okay, injuries are an issue for him, plus Anne Maximan, plus Almiron, plus Joe Linton, who's actually started very well under Eddie Howe. I, I think that's, that'll do them for now. The issue is to centre back and uh, back in midfield. Um, and so, yeah, they, 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 they've been linked with hundreds of players, very hard to sort of sift the wheat from the chaff. I think the two really interesting ones in terms of the back in midfield are Axel Witzel, who apparently may be available you know, either on a free or, or, a, or a loan or a cut price contract. Um, and also Florian Grilich, um, from Hoffenheim, the Austrian, 26. Uh, and I think yeah, he's a sort of player who you can see coming in and, and, and sort of uh, adapting relatively quickly. I mean, they've been linked to Agabu Kamara 
from Olympiacos, who does look brilliant. Um, but he's 20 and he's only started 11 games in the Greek league. So do you want to you know, sign him and suddenly drop him into this relegation battle? Probably not. So, yeah, uh, Vitzel and Grilich seem to me the two. I, I, and James Tarkovsky, if, if there's any mileage in that. But, you know, somebody with Premier League experience. But why Burnley would sell to an immediate relegation rival, you know, I don't know. So, yeah, that, 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 that's where they need to need to strengthen, get that base at the back of midfield or, or centre-back. I can't be having Witzel at Newcastle, Martin. <laughs> I can't have uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, no, it could happen. Definitely it could happen, I think, in in this climate, in, in the situation that they're in. Villa were linked to him in the summer, weren't they? He's one of my favourite midfielders, Witzel. I'd not be happy with him. At yeah, he controls well. games so well. So that would be that would be massive, a, a massive sort of statement for them. He is... What is he, 33, 34 now? So he is aging, but they probably just do need that experience. Yeah, the other one I had in that position, there's a player they went for in the summer, was Bubakar Kamara uh, from from Marseille. Uh, and he, the benefit to him is he can play centre-back. He started at centre-back, has moved into defensive midfield since the start of last season. So he's another one they may look to revisit. I think he turned them down in the summer because he wasn't convinced by the project. He might be convinced by the project now, uh, by the money now. Uh, in terms of where they're weak, they're, they're weak in a lot of positions, as you say. Like Jonathan points out, I think they're fine in attack. Uh, they're weak in goal, but yeah, not they need really. A uh, it's, it's a, it's a thing. If um, I've forgotten his name, Dubravka. If, De, if Dubravka is fit, then I think he's perfectly good enough. They've been linked to Dean Henderson, haven't they? That that could be an interesting one. Uh, but I think the position where they're not really linked to anyone certainly in terms of rumours, is the, is the wing-back position, the full-back positions. I think they're really, really weak there. Uh, they've got Matt Ritchie and either Mankio or Jacob Murphy on the right. So, I th- personally, I think they need they need wing-backs. Um, the three players that I've highlighted, in terms of centre-backs, Nat Phillips, I think, would be a great signing. Uh, I've been sort of saying that uh, for, for a while now, and obviously he came back to relevance in a sort of limelight because he started in the week for Liverpool but it hasn't been seen at all and I thought he played well for Liverpool last season when he was called upon so I think he'd be a good signing surely one that they could could get over the line given how many options Liverpool have got back there now so I think him at centre-back I'd look at Kamara like I said in in central midfield and a left wing back uh, sort of sort of out of nowhere I'd go Philip Kostic I think he's one of the most underrated players in Europe and he nearly went to Lazio for only about 10 million in the summer and that got blocked because apparently Frankfurt gave Lazio the wrong email address uh, on deadline day, so that fell through. But he's a he's a great he's essentially a winger that plays wing back, uh, so maybe too attacking. But he's an exciting player and one one that I think could be interesting as well. Just because he hasn't been mentioned in his podcast, I think Chelsea should cancel Billy Gilmore's loan from Norwich, <laughs> to Newcastle just for the purposes of this podcast, so we can yeah. talk about him because we haven't mentioned him this week. This is, of course, the Les Ferdinand derby, Leicester versus Newcastle. What is your prediction, Jonathan? Two one Leicester. Two one Leicester. I've gone for three one Leicester. And to finish, who scored prediction? Uh, 3-2 Leicester like I said all gone for a win and both teams to score so backing Jonathan's team uh, tip there a win for Leicester I should say nice very very good I think that does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast in association with Bet Victor. if you're not already subscribed to the channel with your post notifications on then please please do that no one ever seems to listen to that because the subscribers don't seem to go up so this week I want to say at least one new subscriber for us that would be nice just to show that people do listen to the end of the podcast Thanks to Martin and thanks to Jonathan for chatting with me as always. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and stay safe.